Okay. Welcome to Daily Plunge. We're in the... Um, no. Ah, much better. Now, get ready for an uncivilized discussion about faith. Welcome Welcome to the the Barbarian Barbarian Prophets. Welcome back, Barbarian Nation. We have been missing you. So, as you heard with our opener, we have none other than Douglas Scholes with us today from the Daily Plunge. And you guys have heard me plug that show once or twice, and we'll be plugging it again today. But uh, I asked Douglas if he would make an attempt at being on my show through the phone, being that he is half a planet away from me. Is it half a planet, Douglas? Uh, well, it, it depends if you're talking, you know, miles or you're talking mindset. My, I, I'm talking about either either my, way, man. How however you need it to roll. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, actually, you, go ahead. Actually, you know, my my wife said today we may look different on the outside, but you and I both have a similar passion for God. Amen. Amen. I'll, I'll, I'll stand with that and agree with that wholeheartedly. So, uh, it, uh, so you have a show called the daily plunge. Now, before we even start into the daily plunge, let's start off with where are you located? I'm uh, out just on the West side of Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, uh, with that being said, um, that is like on the other side of the planet. Cause the minute you cross that Mississippi river, it's a whole different world than it is out here in Wyoming, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know that. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing is, is that, uh, when, uh, you have been a pastor for how long? 31 years, 31 years. And how about this? Uh, when have you always been a Lutheran pastor? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that, that's some good stuff for us to start in with. And, uh, uh, so you also do, have you written any books or anything to that effect? Well, I wrote my dissertation and, that um, is, that is uh, a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like 167 pages. I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so you can actually find it out there, and you can. It's uh, equipping parents to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Mm, nice. That sounds. That sounds like what everybody needs to read. And, yeah, and then put into motion. Yeah, well, and, and that's what it is. Actually, the book is about why this is an issue. You know that parents need to recognize it's it's their biblical expectation that they'll that they will do this and it talks about the obstacles that parents have both cognitively you know understanding that it's their job and also in terms of the practices and and being a little bit intimidated about doing it and then there's actually within the dissertation um, a project of both preaching and lessons about how to teach um, teach families how to do that. Well, that sounds, the like, main, sounds like something you ought to throw a title on other than dissertation and then <laughs> uh, put it into a publisher. And it's real easy to publish on Amazon nowadays and get it out there so people can start reading it. Yeah, I should probably do that. <laughs> Just, I need to get some time off to, to work on it, getting it finally edited. Yeah. Well, that is the beautiful thing about knowing people the way I know people, you find the person to do that and you say, Hey, I need help. And we do that. But anyway, so, so go on with your story with, uh, so when you wrote this, when you're working on your MDiv. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm my demon. I'm my oh, doctorate. I'm, I'm at, your doctorate. At, yeah. At Asbury. Nice. Yeah. So I, uh, I was blessed to be part of a, a fellowship, a, a doctoral fellowship program there, and uh, there was twenty of us in the in the year I was there, and they were all Wesleyans of one stripe or another. Really, that's interesting. I, that had to be yeah. interesting for you as a Lutheran in with a bunch of Wesleyans. Well, actually, um, you know, after I became a pastor, God really guided my path. Even when I was doing my seminary education, I did a year. Um, of studies down in Austin where I was at a Lutheran house of studies across the street from the Episcopalian seminary. And then I also took classes at the nearby Presbyterian seminary. 
Nice. And then after I got into the parish, uh, started getting connected with, you know, a, a breadth of different Christians and always asking the question, you know, where is God working and, and how are, where, where's God working to make disciples? And so, you know, I was listening to, you know, Bill Heibel, you know, reading up from Bill Heibel's, from John Ortberg, from uh, Rick Warren, from uh, Bill Eason, and um, Mike Slaughter, and a whole lot of other practitioners, and uh, trying to trying to sort of translate what they were doing in their in their in their context and how it would fit into the ministries, you know, the churches where I was leading. That's that's a very interesting take because there's a lot of people uh, within, uh, let's say, in liturgical churches that would would steer a ship the other direction from those type of guys. You know, Rick Warren, for example. You know, I think you. I actually think the Purpose Driven Church is a is a great book for anyone who's trying to lead a church to read because there's just a lot of basics in there and. I think I think as as Christians, regardless of whether we're Lutheran, you know, or whatever, it's always the lens is always through Scripture, right. and and, that, and, and that's exactly the way it's supposed to be, right? And the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's in line with that, and so you know, it might not work. Whatever they're doing might not work exactly in your context, but how can you adapt that, you know, to your your setting so that it applies? And I think one of the things my, my wife is really passionate about this, Deborah, is that, you know, we're not called just to gather up Lutherans. We're called to gather up people. And, you know, quite honestly, um, uh, what was this? Bob Cole, he was a church planner uh, extraordinaire. And one time he said that Lutherans are like the Mesa church. You got to get into their little basket so they can lift you up, right, right, <laughs> teach, right. you, teach you how to be. A Lutheran, but you know our our calling isn't to make Lutherans. Our calling is to make disciples of Christ. That, that uh, being is one hundred percent correct. That's one hundred percent right. Being being Lutheran is just a bonus. Well, you know uh, what I when people ask me how long I've been Lutheran, I say, well, not very long. But I'll tell you what I I've been a Christian for quite a while, and uh, I at first and foremost am a Christian that happens to worship in a Lutheran church. Because we are, we belong to Christ before we belong to any denomination or anything else. Right. I, I absolutely, and I, I, you know, I love reading Luther, and I, when you read Luther, he's he's not worried about making Lutherans. No, no, he's <laughs> not worried about that at all. Yeah. In fact, he uh, for yeah, he's worried about in, you know, and I I know this isn't a Martin Luther statement, but it, I know that he would say the same thing I say all the time. I'm not trying to get you into heaven. I'm trying to get heaven into you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So so, uh, so yeah, I I've always been looking. You know, how can I? You know, and I think one of the things though too is 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 looking backwards at the same time. You know, I was looking at Luther and the, the other church fathers and saying what was what was happening there that, you know, can translate to today. Right. Well, and, and yeah. that's, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. So let me ask you real quick. How old were you when you came to really recognize and know the Lord? Um. You know, I've never had a time in my life when I didn't know God in my life. Excellent. So, um, my parents, um, they, they both were active Christians. Um, actually we, um, before I was born, they started going to a startup church outside of Detroit and they were, uh, youth, you know, they were volunteer youth leaders. And, uh, so they were active and um, I always just loved being a part of the church. And as early as eight years old, second grade, um, it was the first time I thought about being a pastor. Wow, that's your first call is when you were eight? Yeah, of course, the next week I wanted to be a cowboy. Well, and the week after that, a fireman. But And all of those can also be pastors and do those that's things. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, as early as, as early as eight years old and um, – you know, I thought about it off and on. 
um, about it. But, uh, you know, for me, I had a real crisis of faith. Right. Um, when I was in uh, confirmation. Okay. Uh, what happened? It, and it, how old were you in confirmation? Um, I was probably about uh, 14. And I was hanging out with the wrong group of kids. I was hanging around with stoners. Oh, you were hanging? I don't remember you. <laughs> well, we were separated by the, by the planes. Yeah, that's but, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I was hanging around with stoners, and uh, and and uh, thankfully, I I do not do well with uh, with marijuana. So, um, you know, but I I mean, I remember really having to say, you know, if I'm as I was preparing to confirm my faith, I'm like, how can I say I'm going to do this and then live contrary to that and actually made the decision to step away from those people and, and to be alone, um, you know, rather than have those friends that were just leading me astray. Right. And, and that was a time again, when I thought about maybe I should become a pastor. Interesting. So, uh, so after you got confirmed, then how did things transpire from there? Because, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but it seems like if you've been a pastor 31 years, that's uh, an awful long time. I mean, I was in the oil field myself for 33 years and uh, uh, pastored on the side, not like <clears throat> being in a church full time like I am now, but... Uh, so about how old were you when you decided to, to go ahead and start going to Bible college, et cetera? And what led to that? Well, actually, um, you know, my high school career, I hated school and, uh, I found once again, found myself hanging out with the wrong kind of kids, graduated, went to community college, thought I was going to go into business and, uh, that class was boring. And then I took, uh, an interest survey cause I'd, I'd given up on becoming a pastor, but I was still active in the church and, uh, took an interest survey and, um, being a teacher or doing, um, getting involved, doing government work, uh, cause I have an interest in politics, um, were scored high, but the other one was clergy. And I, I basically said, okay, God, I'll, I'll become a pastor. And about that time I applied to go to the university of Texas and, um, I had failed my second semester of German, which is funny for a guy with a, a Germanic last name. And I, I was just under the wire and, um, they told me, they told me, well, um, so I, I sent him my, my credit saying I was going to take some more credit hours. They told me to do that. And when I sent in a letter saying I didn't think they'd be processed in time, this uh, woman down in Texas, I called down. She said, son, only an act of God will get you in after the deadline. And uh, I always remember the Wednesday before Christmas, uh, Dr. Barron from the administra- uh, the admissions office called. And, and I told him I'd gotten straight A's that term. And he says, well, congratulations. Welcome to the University of Texas. And so I, I went to a you know secular university and, and behaved as a secularist <laughs> when, I was at, when I was at the university. Right. And, uh, but at the same, at the same time was studying, um, uh, history and government, but a lot of my studies were uh, focused towards getting myself ready for going to seminary. And, uh, but before I went to seminary, t- took two years to work in, um, in the insurance industry, which I was really glad that I took some time off instead of going straight from seminary into or straight from university into the seminary. So I had some, some real world, you know, some business world experience so I could understand a little bit better. Some of the experiences of my, my people in the church. And then, um, I went to Trinity Lutheran seminary, uh, did my internship in Fort Worth, Texas, and then um, got, um, I was ordained in 1992, and then my first call was out in rural West Texas, a little town called Miles. Um, it, it, in many ways, a lot like Wyoming, because in a, a 20-mile, uh, uh, maybe even larger county, there was only 5,000 people. 
perfect size place. <laughs> so, so let's 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 move that. You've got you've got all the education under the sun. That is for certain. Certain, and you know when yeah. you. Uh, so so you got all this education. You step into your first call. And you start you start walking the line of, of uh, teaching law and gospel and 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 the promises of God. And um, oh, you you are way too optimistic. I oh, was well, I'm just I was I'm still just, learning just, things. I'm just, well, I think that is true of all of us. You know, the one funny thing with an education, uh, people go, "Well, Bert, you know, you have a doctorate." I say, "Yeah, great." I said, "You know, I'm going to tell you the only thing that a, a degree does." is teach you how to ask better questions and to uh, bring yourself around to easy correction. So when you are wrong, you should be pony up to it right away. But on the other end is that you need to, all education does lead to more questions. Cause I can tell you by the time that I got my first master's degree, that my, um, I I was like, I don't even know why they're giving this to me. I don't seem like I know anything. The more I read, the less I know. And, yeah. But I I think that is just the course of that. But so uh, you you had a lot to learn, and you were preaching away, and then. Well, I think I was really was really blessed. I had a an an elder pastor about twenty miles away, another Lutheran pastor. Uh, Jim Hansen, and in fact, the guy had written a, a book on the Holy Spirit, and he. Re- I did not have a regular devotional life. I did not have a, a daily time in the Lord, and he really challenged me, you know. And so that's when I started doing, you know, the daily lectionary, and that's been my my prime my prime devotional path um, through the rest of my life is to be in the daily lectionary. And, uh, yeah. And so I think when I first started, I, I don't think I was preaching. I'd hate to think what my sermons were back then, but, uh, I got a lot more immersed in the word than I had, you know, I got to say when I was raised in the, the faith, I knew I loved Jesus and I loved God, but I didn't know the scriptures very well. Right. So it got through all through seminary, <laughs> not knowing the scriptures all that well. Well, that, that is a very interesting statement because, uh, you know, I, I jokingly, and I say this with the kindest, gentlest heart and joking, is I've always called the seminary the cemetery because this is where the Holy Spirit goes to die. You want to find him alive, you dig in the Word of God, and then you're finding. <laughs> That's why I enjoyed Bible college a lot more than I have struggled with seminary, I can tell you that, because it's was definitely not what I anticipated coming out of a out of a Bible college after uh, 13 years of school. And it's a definite different take um, on the stuff you learn is excellent. But, um, you know, it's funny that you say you knew all of that stuff, but when it came to truly, I mean, you got to have an awakened soul. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, because of uh, pastor Hanson, you know, I, I grew a lot in my faith. Um, you know, there just were different things at different times where God worked to awaken me. When I was on my internship is when I did my Vita Cristo, um, the Curcio weekend. And that was huge for me. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of it is that there's these constant moments where God is reminding you about his grace. And then I think we get into sort of, uh, you know, a humdrum, uh, just pattern, you know, just going along and not recognize, you know, being fully in, involved in the grace of God. Right. Just taking it for granted. So, but, uh, yeah, after that, um, after being out in West Texas for three years, I went to uh, San Antonio to a church there. And, um, one of the things we did there was the, uh, Henry Blackaby's, uh, knowing, n- knowing, and doing the will of God, and uh, again, huge, huge influence in helping me to to focus more on being a disciple of Jesus. That's awesome. Not just a church, not just a church guy. 
Well, you know, you were talking about uh, reading Martin Luther and reading uh, some, you know, like a Rick Warren and reading some of that stuff. What, what would you say has been some of the most influential uh, outside of the Bible, obviously, but some of the most influential um, books that have led you down new paths? Well, you know, certainly Luther. Uh, it's hard, you know, whenever I read Luther, I'm just always amazed. Um, at his spiritual insight. And, you know, there's the times when he sounds like he's very much in the 1500s and then the next moment he sounds like he's right here, right with me, you know, in our time. Um, you know, I think about um, it, one book, one book I, I really influenced me a lot. Well, actually it was a series of books about the Irish one that was about the, just sort of the history of the Irish, but then was the Celtic way of evangelism by George Hunter and then I read Erwin um, um, McManus's book, The Barbarian Way. Uh, yeah, I've read I've read both those books. Um, very very uh, inspirational for one in how to uh, focus in the modern. Uh, well, I wouldn't say the modern world, but I would say definitely focus in cultures because we yeah. gotta, we got to learn how to focus in a culture. Uh, we can't uh, force people into our culture. What we have to do is uh, immerse into theirs without becoming it and introduce Christ into it. I mean, that's the whole St. Patrick thing from the Celts. That's the whole thing with um, all of Iona over in Scotland, you know, and uh, and Ireland, uh, knowing how all of those places develop with just prayer and people pouring themselves into the Lord, etc. But before that, those places were all extremely pagan. Yeah. Like bloody well, pagans. I think, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I think about how we, we assume, so often we assume culture. And I have served in Texas, I've served in <laughs> California, and I've served in Indiana. And they're all Lutheran churches, but they are not the same. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing I try to get across when people say out here with our church is, I'm like, it's not like other churches, man. It's not like other Lutheran churches. It's just not. I mean, if we had one down, well, we do. We have like, uh, let's see, we have a total uh, in this town of, I believe, uh, one, two, three war uh we have a total of seven lutheran churches in town and i guarantee ain't none of them the same oh yeah yeah you have uh well eight i take that back eight because you have two missouri senate churches and neither one of them are the same as each other and then you have some (laughs) elca churches and those three are not the same as each other they don't even hardly talk to each other and then you have the wells which don't talk to anybody over here for whatever reason i don't know i've tried to talk to them and then you have us the nalc which is the odd duck of them all yeah yeah well you know i just think about those three congregations and and one of the things about every church is its own culture and we assume that in order to be a Christian, sometimes well, you have to you have to adopt our culture. No, you know whether whether it's St. John's or it's Triumphant or it's the um, that was the name of the congregation or um, you know Concordia, these different congregations, and that's what exactly what you know the Celtic way of evangelism and the Barbarian way are about is you know it, you you don't have to impose your culture on somebody else for them to know Jesus Christ. And I think that's a, a huge challenge for uh, the, the church in the United States because we're surrounded not by one or two cultures. We're, there's a whole plethora of different subgroups, of different subcultures within our society uh, on so many different levels. And so where do we find that common ground with people? Well, and I can tell you that all the years that I have been working in the prisons and the jails, as well as the street and floating in and out of, I don't know, 300 churches or thereabouts and traveling to other countries, etc. One thing I definitely has figured out is that uh, I can bring the kingdom of God, but it does not necessarily mean that I understand what is going on around me. 
And when it comes yeah. to uh, sitting down, just like I just left from teaching down at the mission, and I had a bunch of uh, uh, students in working on their um, their educate or working on their doctorates for psychology. And you know, the funny thing is, with all those students, I'm watching them look at the people from the mission, and they I can see fear in them. And, yeah. and, you know, I took a few minutes to talk to them, and they're like, well, I'm not sure how to talk to them. I said, well, you got to get in their head a little bit. Well, do they relate to you better because you relate to them? Uh, you know, and I could tell when the gal was talking to me, she wasn't trying to talk down. But, you know, I dress like a gangster most of the time. You've seen me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we were done, she goes, well, I, I often wonder how they'll react to people with, with a higher education. I said, well, you know, I have, a, I have a doctorate in theology and a master's in divinity, and they seem to relate well to me. But the look on all of those students' faces <laughs> when they're like this big, bearded, barbaric, Viking-looking monster standing in front of us uh, just said, what? You know, and the whole thing is, is that at the end of the day, I, uh, it, it, the education thing, man, can you relate Jesus to them where they're at? It isn't about bringing them up to my level and it isn't about lowering myself to their level. It's about allowing God to raise them up with his word. And, uh, they, they didn't have a box for what I was telling them. Yeah. It was very you know, interesting. I- yeah, I think about what Paul says, you know, is that he's, you know, he's willing to be different from himself and what, because he loves the people he's trying to reach. And ultimately, it's Jesus, you know, Jesus is incarnational. And when congregations, I mean, the, the church in the United States is going to die unless we can become incarnational and be with people where they are in their pain, in their suffering, in their, in their sin, you know, not that we're, not that we're endorsing it, but we're standing alongside of them because that's exactly what Jesus did. He he, he didn't come to a group of folks that had all their act together. Well, the Pharisees thought they did <laughs> and he took it on them too, but he can't, you know, he loved, Jesus loved sinners. He, he was running after them all the time. And as a church. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that um, re-empowering the church is, is a very needed thing. Uh, because I think we have seen the church subdued for so long. You have people that are overzealous on one end of things, and you have people that are underzealous on others. But, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, that scholastic and the mystic end of things is what needs to be in full function. Because when we take a look at the early church fathers with Irenaeus, Polycarp, and so on, that those guys were very much in tune with the Word of God and the teachings of the disciples. And not only that, though, they were very in tune with what the Holy Spirit was calling them to. And they, if they wouldn't have been, the church would have never survived at all. Yeah. And as we take a look now, I mean, you know, even in, in my church there— um, uh, a, a guy by the name of Ingberg was the one that founded uh, Prince of Peace Lutheran. Very much a Swedish guy, very much a Swedish Lutheran. He was ALC, which American Lutheran Church. and uh, But he definitely had that Viking spirit to him. You know, when we talk about barbarians, he definitely yeah. had that spirit. And the reason I say he had that spirit is because that church that I, in the reason I say it's very, it's difficult for me when I travel back east or when I go to, let's say, Ambridge or when I travel to uh, the other stuff like down in San Antonio or Florida with the, with the church. I see this very high end where they do all this thing, where they do this stuff that I think is beautiful, but it does not fit in my collective of people very well. Yeah. And uh, they, but my people are very much. Uh, the people that God has entrusted to me, we'll put it that way, is very much about outreach, very much about being able to talk to people. They love the fact that we have people that come from the mission and come and join us for church, and they're always disappointed if they don't return. 
And, uh, you know, a, a big part of that is they always want to make sure that they are helping people along the way. I mean, they truly have that belief that Martin Luther had that, you know, saints uh, are not well. Uh, they don't do things that are sung about on Sundays. You know, they have the sweat of their brow, the the calluses on their hands and the sore back. And they they live through miracles every day. And yeah. we they they don't need cheered on for it. They just do it. And that's one thing I really respect about them. They and they have some traditions um, that um, that I've made sure has been maintained in that church. And I feel like that's a part of God's call to when they call to a church and where I'm going with this is just like you were saying, the culture is different. I'm trying to fit into their culture. And I kept trying when I would go back east to bring that culture back here. And they were like, yeah, that ain't working. And so one day I just kind of figured out that they were a pack of Vikings. And I relate to that very well. <laughs> When I started realizing I had, you know, I had Austrians and I had some Germans, granted, but I had a tremendous amount of Danes, Norwegians, Swedes, etc. And they were raised in a different thought process. Yeah. And, you know, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, and and the thing, thing is, is that what would happen with them is they, uh, they want to be, they haven't had a pastor that has... You know, I talk about demonic deliverance from the from the pulpit. I talk about things such as, you know, we should anticipate and expect healing. We should be more shocked when we don't see one than if we do see one. And we need to come together in, in prayer and time together, etc. And they're they're open to that. I have some that are not and some that are, but you know, that's any church. Yeah. You know, as you talk about this, I think one of the things that's really important for anyone who's a spiritual leader in a, in a group of, of Christians, but especially pastors, is you're the steward. That church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to the people either. It belongs to Jesus. But, you know, when you're in a congregation, let's say even if you're there 20 or 30 years, there's going to come a time when you're done and you're gone. And your responsibility isn't isn't for yourself. It's for that congregation that's going to continue, hopefully, you know, 100, 200, 300 years after you. Absolutely. And you're just called to, called to be a good steward. And I think also even though the, the, the lay people also need to have that sense is that they're not – it's not about that church for where they are today. It's where is this church going to be in 10, 20, 30 years so that our, our, our children and our grandchildren – have a place that's going to take care of them spiritually and reach out to their neighbors. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, in first Corinthians, um, let me dial it up uh, about first Corinthians chapter four, somewhere in there, it might even be right at the start of it. It, it says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, right. You know that, um, I mean, I, I'm not very good at the quoting end, but I'd say it says, so consider us as servants of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. And stewards of mean, it doesn't mean that we keep them secret. It means that we, we have them while we are here, but we are moving them through time. God's, yeah. God's word will not return to him void. And that's one thing I love about the liturgy. And that's one thing I fell in love with uh, in coming into this church was the fact that week after week we are echoing God's word through eternity. We are speaking the words that Moses spoke. We are in, in our in our tongue. We are speaking uh, the psalms that Jesus sang. Uh, and on occasion, we're singing them. On other occasions, we're speaking the the words of the apostles and and reading the same things out loud to one another that had been received in letters in the first century church. And not only that, then we are, when we all rise and prepare for the hearing of the gospel, we are standing and listening to the words of Christ himself. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is echoing his words through time. And that is impressive to me. Yeah. I, I really like what you say. And I, you know, one of the things that, we do, and I've done in my my ministry over the last number of years, is to do at least one Sunday a year where we go through the lecture, the liturgy, and explain, you know, why we're doing it, 
but but also there's times when all I do is go, okay, let's look at the scripture. You know, everything we're saying is coming out of the word of God and, you know, to remind people God's just like you said, God's word doesn't come go forth and not come back to him without his power and his grace. And um, there's nothing better we can do than to have God's words on our lips. So we're not just, we're not just mumbling stuff, you know, you know, we're, we're getting the word of God in us. So, yeah. One thing real quick um, I want to add to that is, you know, the church, the church has no existence apart from Jesus Christ and his, and his, in the spirit of God. Amen. And we have, we have no authority. We have no power. And if all, if, if the spirit is not at work in amongst us and in us, then we're just a religious rotary club. Absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> and, uh, here at St. John's, we've been blessed. God has been doing amazing things amongst us. And I just, you know, I just keep reminding folks, you're seeing miracles because you're seeing people that you don't even know showing up. And we are seeing people um, being healed and lives being changed. And so that you want to see, you want to see the power of God, the spirit of God. Look at that family. Look at this person. It's happening. Absolutely. And they, and they always want to see something grandeur. They want to see the grandeur of something and not recognizing that there is you don't know 20 years of alcohol abuse and and abuse in a house that all of a sudden is cleaned up and the family's all living and loving one another that in itself is a miracle this year fact that every single person that ever gets saved and walks away from what they used to be into what god has called them to be that changes everything yeah yeah and um You know, I tell my folks that, uh, you know, I'm greedy for the miracles of God. Yes, I have a problem. I'm greedy for the miracles of God. I want to see more of that. And uh, so we just, we, and we pray for it. Amen. So uh, let me ask you real quick. I'm curious about the barbarian way. Yeah. uh, Because I am the barbarian prophet. (laughs) So how, how did that book impact you? I mean, uh, when you when you read that book and you think back on that book, I mean, uh, he, McManus did a, a fantastic job. I, I, my favorite statement is there that we're a crash of rhinos. We can't, yeah, I, we can't see very good, but we kind of blow through the middle of anything. And I've seen rhinos out in the wild in Africa, and they and they there could be real boneheads sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, to, to a certain extent, it gave me, you know, and I, you know, sort of, um, made me sad about myself because, you know, I don't, I don't have any tattoos, you know, or, or piercings, <laughs> you know, I don't drive a motorcycle. I'm just this very Next time Calm you and guy. I are together, brother, you and I are headed straight down to a tattoo shop. I am taking you there, and we're not we're not going to punk it out either. You ain't going to do something in your upper shoulder. We're straight going for a neck tattoo. I might I might put alpha and omega on your knuckles or something like that. It'll be cool, man. But I'll tell you, you know, I think I, I hear you what you're saying, and and like I was at a I was at the I, I did the funeral of one of my members. She was 85 years old and her sister, um, who's lost a lot of her family. I mean, her children have died. Um, and we were at the table and, you know, her, her granddaughters are there and they're in their twenties and thirties. And, and, uh, I, at least two of them, you know, they got visible tattoos and, um, you know, not, not that tattoos are, ha- are a bad thing, but, you know, they can really be seen as a, an us versus them sometimes in the church, you know? And I think one of, one of the things I know is I'm not that person, but my prayer is that God would send me that barbarian that's going to, going to reach into another group. And it might not even be, you know, it, it, it's not just, um, it's not just a barbarian, you know, like with tattoos or whatever, but I mean, it really is just anybody who's from, you think about the, what the word barbarian means. The Greek word simply means those who t- say bar, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 
it's just people who, who talk and think different from you. And so, you know, it might be somebody who's all into, I don't know, hunting or gaming or um, someone who's in a motorcycle or whatever it is, you know, there's a whole culture of that. And like, I saw recently, like there was this, um, this father and, and daughter and they, they were into the rodeo and, you know, that can be all consuming, but then they found they had a ministry amongst those rodeo folks. And I'm sure the rodeo folks don't think of themselves as barbarian, but they are a tribe. They are definitely a tribe. So here I'm going to, I'm going to chop in with you here and say this, I, I, I will explain what a barbarian is and why this show is actually called the barbarian prophet is yeah. because I refuse to be domesticated. Yeah. I've heard you say that, yeah. And and the, and the reality is is that when you're a domesticated Christian, you're a dying Christian. So I yeah. I would I would tell you this Douglas is that it isn't about the outward appearance, it is about the in the inside heart. And I would also tell you that the things that you do that uh to put out daily things with the plunge when you are going and visiting, when you're going and talking to people and and why you are drawn to people that are different and i mean you were did this even as a young person you said i was always with the wrong crowd and it's obvious just because you hang out with me you still have a bad habit of doing that (laughs) (laughs) but but here's the deal is at the end of the day um being a barbarian doesn't have anything to do with outward appearance It, it has to do with when people are trying to roll down on you and say look this is the structure in which we are going to stay and we're going to stay here and you go well wait wait a minute Let, let's pump the brakes on this whole enchilada i've got to look over here at the cost of these is these people going to know about jesus when we're done with this or are you going to be satisfied because if you're satisfied then the problem is is that you are only focused on you and your take i want people to see me in a specific you become the empty tomb or, or the, yep. the whitewashed tomb and Absolutely. i I'm, and, and i'm going to say something now that i know is going to be heard on the air but I'm going to say right now is that even when we're taking a look at my ordination that's up and coming, my goal yeah. here is we as we're putting it all together, I have all these people giving me these wonderful ideas and these fantastic things. I'm like, man, that's really incredible. That's really great. But none of that stuff is going to fit with who I have here. Okay. And because yeah. I'm, I'm getting ordained, big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. Yes, I'm excited about it. Yes, etc. But I'm going to have 300 people inside my church. I'm going to have uh, uh, the people from my church, which know me, which is great. In fact, everybody in the building knows me, which is great. But all of them know me at different levels of things. And you're going to have people in there that are still practicing pagans. You're going to have, they're coming to show me respect. You're going to have active gang members that are coming to show me respect because this is a big thing for somebody from their cultures to move forward. And my concern has not been whether we sing the Kyrie or we, we say this, this prayer in this fashion from the green hymnal or that hymnal, etc. It's about right. me making sure it isn't about me. Man, and it, and I'm going to be honest, it's always about Christ, is that when we take a look at this, when they're done speaking, did all those people see and hear the kingdom of heaven in motion with the king leading it? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and if it is anything less than that, I don't want to do it. Yeah. That, that's what it means to be a barbarian. I don't care about yeah. the structure. I care about what I am called here to do. You know, when we used to do the barbarian prophet back in the day, um, before 2020 from about 2017 through 2020, yeah, that's what killed it was COVID. Um, we used to always open it up with, uh, taking you out of the church and back into the wild. And man, that used to make pastors angry i mean i had more than one pastor show up and be on my show and that's what they were coming to confront me because i was calling people out of the church and my comment to them at that time was i want them to quit going to church and just being a domesticated uh person a domesticated christian where they just go and get fed and then go back to their life then come and get fed and they go back to their life that's like having a domestic animal at at hand i wanted a person that truly lived in the wild w-i-l-d we intentionally love 
daily. And that means that we go after the love of Christ in every aspect of what we're doing. He called us to heal the leper. He called us to raise the dead. He called us to cast out demons. He called us to baptize and make disciples. And if we are just going to church, what in the heck are you doing? I I don't want to be, I don't play that game. And that, and I happen to know you don't either. So with the fact that you don't think that you're a barbarian makes you even more of a barbarian because you are, <laughs> it is, it is a matter of brother. We've, we've got to advance this kingdom forward. We're at war. We're at war. Yeah. Whether people want to realize this or not, we are at a time and point in this, in this country. And I'm just talking about the United States. I'm not going to talk about the whole planet that what we're starting to see is a separation in the church to where you're watching the rise of the harlot church, where they just promote everything uh, that they call evil, good and good evil. And then on the other end, you have this other little bit of the church that is hiding, pretending nothing is changing. And then you have the aggressors and that's us. You have the barbarians that have went, let's go do this thing, man. Let's jump in the ships, cross the black sea, conquer new lands, take what we need to take and leave what we need to leave and keep advancing forward. But that's just, me. yeah. Well, you know, I think about, I think about when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to build my church upon the rock, which is not Peter. Cause that guy, he's, he's a crumb. Uh, we all are. It, the rock is always God. You know, that's what the rock is throughout the Bible. But then he says, you know, on this, I'm going to build my church upon the rock of the confession of faith and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we forget gates don't run around and attack people. No. And, and <laughs> gates are supposed to be bashed in and knocked down. And, and, and that's the thing about Christians. We should be looking at our friends, our family, or even our own lives. What gates need to be kicked in by the power of God, by the word. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's often just the word of God that needs to be applied. And that tells people you're broken and you can't fix yourself. Nope. You're a sinner. Can't save yourself. The only hope you have is Jesus Christ. So quit trying to do it on your own. Cling to him. As Luther would say all the time, cling to Christ, cling to his word. And that's where we find the power, the hope, all that. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the other things uh, when when we're talking about books uh, outside outside of those ones, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Rick Joyner? I've heard of Rick. OK. And Rick is an is a spectacular person, by the way, is a he's a great man. I have not met him face to face, but I've been around many people that have uh, been trained up by him, but he made a book. He wrote a book years ago. This is a long time ago. But one thing that um, definitely changed my whole perception, uh, he wrote this book originally in 1996, but it is called The Final Quest. And if you have not read that book, I would strongly recommend to everybody out there, including you, that you read that book because it was about a vision that he had or a series of visions that he had, but it's, uh, it's written a lot like the hammer of God, for example, from Boo Yertz. Um, it's, yeah. it's written in an aspect of, uh, he's viewing this stuff, but he starts talking about how, uh, where we're at. And I mean, uh-huh. he's done a lot of books since then army of the dawn. He's done just tons of them. I have a whole stack of them here. I can't remember how many books he's put out. But anyway, the point being is we have to realize that we're we're caught up in a battle. And uh, the domestic or the quiet or the silent Christian, they can do a lot with prayer. But we're going to have to step out of our box. And out of our box may not mean, you know, I, I can tell you I've got 90-year-old people in my church that they are not called to go preach on the street with me. They're not called into sit down and have dinner with a, a Sereno and a, and a person from a motorcycle club, you know, from street gangs and motorcycle clubs. But what they can do is cover us with prayer while we're doing it. Yeah. That's one of the things we've been doing here at St. John's. I, I, when I first came, one of the requirements I had is that we'd have a prayer group that would meet with me on a weekly basis. And that's been awesome. We have a great time, but then, um, this this year, I it just God really put in my heart. I had a bunch of 
older folks and they, you know, they, they sort of were, uh, they're like, you know, we don't drive at night and we were kind of tired. And I was like, well, you know, what you can do is pray. And so by, by this time, by March, we're going to have raised up 40 people, 40, 40 total people in our church who have, have committed to praying at least once a week for the ministry of the church, praying for the pastor, praying for what God is doing in this church, praying for our community. And I just really believe that when you, when we get moving with prayer, God, God does miracles. He hears his people, hears his his children. So I'm really excited about that. And I agree with you. Yeah, we need more. Can't have enough prayer. No, you you can't. And we, we need to keep that always in mind is that people think that's the last thing you do. That's the first thing we need. And Absolutely. Uh, and, and this year, you know, I, I have what I call my tribe, and, and I text them all the time, or they text me. I mean, it, it goes back and forth. But, you know, there's there's probably a dozen or better people on it. And the tribe, they have a tendency just to pray over each other. And sometimes we get together and pray over each other. But we uh, we know that when we send that text out to those people, they go to war right there and there. Yeah. Because battling yeah. in the spirit is incredibly important. And, and scripture repeats over and over and over again where we, we've seen, you know, your prayers were sent out, but the the... Yeah, uh, you know the angel was unable to attend to the need because he was at war. Keep yeah. praying. Well, there's never a prayer that that they never. They, as long as that prayer is out there, God is working on it, and you just don't know when. But I want to I want to come back to something you as you talk about is you know we're engaged in spiritual warfare, and what I find is hilarious is that the Lutheran fight song, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." Yeah, yeah, they it's, sing that all the time. Uh, it's all yeah, well. They must not sing it with their eyes open because the whole song is about spiritual warfare. Yes, and, sir. You know, and I, but I got to tell you, my folks. I know for my the people I minister to, they're a lot more aware that that there is a demonic force at work in this world, in the lives of people, and sometimes even people they know and. And, and I think that's been part of it is that people are waking up to, to it. But again, they're you know, like, what can we do? What we're afraid of this. And it's, you know, and, and what's funny is it isn't always like some huge thing where you're expected to, like you said, to go tackle some, the biggest, baddest atheist you can find. It's prayer. It's coming to worship. It's inviting your neighbor. And like right now um, I'm teaching on the 10 commandments and then the, the, the name of the series is walking in the wilderness, you know, is that when we live in the way that God calls us, just like he did with the, the Israelites, he says, I'm, I'm setting you apart you know, in, in the midst of all this wickedness so that you can be a light to the nations. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, that's the, the church is we've got to recognize the people around us need the light. They need the hope. And so how are we being that together? Yeah, and, know, I, and, and here again, I'm going to recommend that book to you by Rick Joyner, that final quest. And I'm going to tell you, because when you read that, everything that we're discussing right now, he discusses in a very different atmosphere, but it's the exact same thing. And for them to see the powers of, of, um, of firing the arrow of prayers into the demonic and how damaging it is to them. Yeah. And, you know, even beyond that, as you're as you're continuing to to grow and and shift your church, we had to understand it. You know, uh, sometimes the army that we pray for, Lord, I need give me an army so I can go in and conquer all of this. Sometimes the army he provides is not what you want, but what you need. Yeah. And it may be a bunch of 80 year old grandmas. Well, you know, like our friend Brad Hales, I love that guy. Yeah. And he's always telling us, you know, God is, you know, it's, it's a huge demographic group. The the folks who are over 65. Don't assume they are going to a church. Don't assume that they don't need, you know, the gospel. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and don't let them sit on their butts and think they don't have something to do because God needs them. It, it's well, how old was, uh, how old was Abraham when God was 
just giving him a child to yeah. start the promise. Yeah, the hundred, <laughs> you know, and then then not only that, you t- uh, what I always say to my Friday morning coffee group is, hey, you're not retired. You need to be refired. We need to get you back in the game here. <laughs> That's great. No retire, you know, the- refire. Let's hit it. One of my favorite saints here at St. John's is Ken, and he's a humble man of God. You know, he served uh, in Korea for, you know, a time. And, and one of the things we do here is junior, senior friends where uh, we have like these events, these luncheons, and the, there's a, a youngster who's paired up with a senior citizen, and they do crafts together and whatnot. And Ken, <laughs> months ago, he called up this young man that had been his, his junior friend 30 years ago. Right. And said, hey, you need to come to church. <laughs> That's perfect. Like, yeah, it was great. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's the thing. I think our, our, our older saints need to see you're not done. And, in fact, if anything, you're in a better position now because of your spiritual strength to be at work on behalf of your children, your grandchildren, and that generation that isn't even here yet. Yeah. You know, I, I always take a look at Caleb because Caleb in there, when he when they first go to go into the promised land, he's like 40 years old. I think he's like 42 or something to that effect. And when he turns around and they come back and they finally get into there, it's they've been in the desert for 40 years. And Joshua asks him, are you ready to take that hill? You know, take that city that you were promised. He goes, I'm as ready today as I ever was. And he's over 80 years old and he he leads the charge. He gets in there and gets it done. Age doesn't mean anything in the spirit, because if we're right. truly eternal beings, age has no bearing on the spirit. Health wise, you could be in a wheelchair. You can be on crutches. You can be what somebody that runs a hundred miles an hour. It doesn't matter in the spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit pushing us, driving us and, and moving us along, we are powerful beyond all recognition. We are, as the Bible says, more than conquerors because we have Christ. Yeah. And because it doesn't depend upon us. No. And even in our brokenness, even in our brokenness, our hurt, you know, just like Paul says, you know, I might look like I'm dying on the outside, but I'm alive on the inside. Amen. I, I got to share this story with you, Joe Rickson. We just, you know, I was just telling you about her funeral uh, with the, her her sister, one of the last things that Joe did is she's dying from cancer and is you know almost bedridden, is to wash the feet of her daughters. Mm, beautiful. I mean, uh, I, I'm just was blown away when they when the, the the daughters who you know they're middle-aged women telling me, and and it was just like with Peter, they were like, no, mom, you shouldn't be doing this for us. She's like, shh, you do what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, she saw the value of that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we read John 13 and, you know, the words of Jesus were the words that Joe was communicating to her daughters. You don't know what I'm doing for you now, but later you will. Oh, praise God. Wow. That's, that's beautiful. And, you know, think of the impact that that's going to take. Yeah. Well, Douglas, you know what? We've already burned up an hour. <laughs> I know. It, it's easy with you and I. I mean, anytime you and I are sitting around talking. So, hey, I, I'm going to hit you up uh, to do a two-part series. Okay? All right. So, I'm going to call you again next Thursday. If that time works out, we'll talk about that. But, uh, I, you know, you and I, in an email, we talked about being Lutheran without being Lutheran. And I would like that to be the focus solely. I didn't want to touch it today because I want a a true dedicated uh, hour to that. And the reason I do is it's not just being about Lutheran. I I don't care if you're a Baptist or you're non-denominational or you're Church of God or whatever you are. How do we not worry so much about what we think, where we think people need to go, but how can we truly be a good servant or disciple of Christ? And so... Will you join me again? Absolutely. Right. Enjoyed the conversation. I knew <laughs> I knew we were going to go far afield, so, I, but it was great. It was brother, a great discussion. 
Yeah, I tell you, I I love all my Lutheran brothers and sisters. I truly do because they are very organized. And then they meet me, and <laughs> and they're like, "Wow, that that totally came unhinged. I didn't even know where we were going." You know, I'm like, "Just jump in the car. Let's see what happens, man." And they're like, "Hey, what? What? Okay." So yeah, it'll all be beautiful. So I'll reach out to you again here this coming week, and we'll put you on next week, all right? That sounds good. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and sign off the air. So I want to tell you, folks, Jesus loves you, and I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop us. For questions or comments, please email us at info at thebarbarianprophet.com. The Barbarian Prophet is a registered trademark of Barbarian Media Group. Listening to this podcast may cause excitability, euphoria, and overall sense of happiness in the realization that you're not alone. Discontinue use if reddened skin or a rash develops. Side effects may include random hugging, crying out loud, smiling while alone, and happy crying combined with snot bubble development. Do not use during church service. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Are you actually still listening? Seriously, we have nothing more to say except for that one thing that was really, really, really important, but let's wait until the next show for that. Well, I'm going to tell you that one more thing that I definitely want you to hear. I don't care your age. I don't care whether you are young. I don't care if you're old. That doesn't matter. If you've retired, you need to be refired. And if you think that your embers inside of you, even if you are 20 years old, and you feel as if you are not producing good fruit for the Lord, then it's time to step into a good church Get yourself set up, start progressing forward, and start being the Christian that you always claim to be. Till next time, Barbarian Nation, I'm the Barbarian Prophet, and we'll see you then.